say to us from God's Word. Thank you, Glenn. Great, thank you, Gareth. Good evening. Really, really good to be with you. It's so, so nice to see normal people. It's so nice to see people and to see actually not a camera or not a, a, a screen. And it's uh, my pleasure, my privilege to be with you tonight. So thank you. Uh, good to see those here, those joining online as well. And do pray that you'll be encouraged and blessed and challenged as we have this opportunity to think about this very important topic uh, together. Uh, let me just take a moment just to say thank you to you. I know a lot of you have taken interest in our ministry and support us and pray for us. So thank you so much. It's been a very challenging year, uh, of course. But actually, as he always does, uh, God has opened doors, unexpected doors, and he's been working and we're really, really grateful to him uh, for that. But thank you for your part in that, your partnership uh, for that as well. Um, thanks for the opportunity to share tonight. Patterns for family life. Let me just say, I haven't got this sussed. Uh, my context is we just celebrated 20 years of marriage uh, at the start of March. I've got a 17-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter. So that brings many, many, many challenges. And to compound things, we also, someone bought us one of these, you know these Alexa things, Amazon Alexa, and half the time she never does what she's told either, so that causes added stress. So that's the context of my uh, sort of family life. I haven't got this sussed, make mistakes, will make mistakes uh, going forward, but I just want to share with you what I feel God has said to me over the last couple of weeks in preparation for this. Some of you will be aware of comedians like Peter Kay and Michael McIntyre. The reason they're so popular is because largely what they share about is normal life. So they take a normal everyday situation and they'll talk about it. And it's funny because most people can relate because they've been in that situation. So Michael McIntyre does a sketch uh, about the difference people with children and without children leaving the house. So basically people without children, they come down the stairs, they put their coat on, they close the door, they go out. People with children, it's, have you got your coat? Where is your coat? Have you got your shoes? Put your shoes on. Have you been to the toilet? It takes about three hours to get out. And sometimes normal life is stranger <laughs> and funnier, actually, than fiction, than made up. The reality is, of course, that for many, many people, normal family life isn't funny, isn't easy. It's incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging. And I want to honor that as well as I share with you tonight. I am blessed in the family that I find myself in, uh, both with my wife and children, and also both sets of parents. But I also acknowledge that for many people, that's not the case. There are challenges and difficulties and stresses and brokenness. And although I haven't experienced that, I want to be true uh, to that as well. I don't need to go into detail about how challenging this last year has been and how that has put added pressure and tension on family life. But I can say from personal and pastoral experience that that has been the case. And actually, the family is under huge pressure. Uh, people within families from all sorts of different ways is under massive pressure, under huge strain. Our children and young people, not just them, of course, but I see it with my children and the schools I'm involved in, have been under huge strain. And actually, what they've experienced this last year is going to have implications for years to come in terms of their mental well-being, their careers, all of that sort of stuff. So this is a really important topic and uh, one that I, it's my privilege and pleasure to share with you. So there's four things on my mind that I just want to share with you. Uh, firstly, why is family important? Secondly, a biblical perspective. Thirdly, some practical advice and guidelines. And then fourthly, 
I'll mention at the end. So that's, the, that's what we're going to go tonight, those sort of four uh, main thought processes. So why is family important? Uh, ordinarily, if I was using this wee thing, I would, I would get someone to come up and hold the other end off it, but of course in COVID times we can't do that, but it'll work on the same principle. So I was never good at physics at school. I wasn't very good at much at school, but I, particularly I wasn't good at physics. But the way this wee thing here operates is by a circuit. So if I hold the end off it and just hold it again, nothing will happen. And if I hold that end off it, nothing will happen either. But as soon as I make a connection, so as soon as I hold that end and make the connection, it sort of lights up, make a wee noise. And when I leave go of it, when the connection's broken, it doesn't work. And every time there's that connection, this thing works because that's the way it's designed. And actually, in terms of family, God has designed us for relationship, for community, for family. That is where life works best. Now, it doesn't always work well. It's not without its challenges, but God's heart, God's design is for family, for community, for relationship. He's the architect of those things. It, it came out of his mind, and then we enjoy the privileges and the stresses of it as well. So community, marriage, relationship, both in the sense of the nuclear family, and as Gareth mentioned as well, in terms of the church family, those are designs of Almighty God. So we do well to think about those things and ask yourself the question, why is that important? And I think as an aside to that, it probably couldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise to us that actually the family is under massive attack. And a lot of the sort of big topic, hot topic issues at the minute are, for me, a direct attack on family life and the future of family life as well. So you, you'll be aware of some of these things, work and time pressures, the distraction of social media and all the damage that that can do, um, abortion, gender issues, no-fault divorce. All these big issues are having huge, huge implications for family life and will have implications going forward for family life as well. I don't think there's any greater place for shared experience than within the family unit. So it's a place we should feel safe and welcomed and accepted and loved and affirmed. And it's God's heart that that should happen. Now, again, it doesn't always happen. I know that. But that's God's design. That's God's pattern. That's God's heart. This is an oversimplistic illustration. But I remember hearing one time of a dad, and he was trying to get on with his work, but he was left with the wee fella. And he had the newspaper doing something or other. So he had an idea. So what he did, he got scissors, and he just cut up this page of the newspaper and he put it down on the floor and said that we fell see if you can put that back together again it was financial figures or something like that but the wee boy had it done in about two minutes and the dad couldn't believe it and he says how did you do that so quick and he says i just noticed dad when you were cutting it out on the other side there was a picture of a family and i knew if i could put the family back together i could put the jigsaw back together now that's simplistic but i do like that god's heart it's for family to be together, for restoration, for that affirmation that we find within the context of family, where we can be loved and accept that it's God's heart. Last Sunday, uh, Brooke was sharing about patterns for personal life, and I love that concept, actually. I watched this message during the week of living in the presence of God. And see, in terms of family life, I think that's fundamental. In fact, it's fundamental in every area of life. But in terms of family life, it's fundamental that it, there's not hypocrisy there from us, that we first and foremost live in the presence of God 
we stay close to him. And then everything else flows from that. And for me as a father, I see that as fundamentally important in my role, living close to God, allowing his Holy Spirit, authenticity. And before speaking to other people and encouraging other people and trying to bring up my children, there has to be that relationship that I have with God, that authentic relationship with God. I remember another illustration one time of a quite a pompous, self-righteous Sunday school teacher trying to tell the children about how important it was to live out your faith and saying to the children, you know, when I go out tomorrow and I'm in the workplace or whatever, why do you think people would call me a Christian? And it was just met with stony silence. And then one wee boy put his hand up and says, probably because I don't know you very well. And there's truth in that. We need to be careful about that, that we live authentic lives. And particularly within the family unit, that there's that authenticity. And before we try and share with others in our family, it has to be something that we live out. So first point, why is family important? Because it's the design of God. It's the heart of God. It's God's pattern for this world. Secondly, let me give you a biblical perspective. I want to read a passage that came immediately to my mind uh, whenever I was given this topic a few weeks ago. I love that the Bible isn't full of perfect people. A lot of the people in the Bible are very flawed characters who through the grace of God had transformed lives and were put in a place that he could use them for his glory. A lot of the people, if you look at the, the patriarch, or Abraham's family, some of what went on in Abraham's family would make EastEnders look like Mary Poppins. These are flawed, imperfect people. And I like that in the sense, not that I applaud and hold that up, but I'm flawed and imperfect. But I love that God uses people who by his grace, by his forgiveness, by his mercy, draws them and uses them for his glory. And that gives me tremendous encouragement. And it should give you tremendous encouragement as well because whether or not you think it, ask somebody who knows you well and they will say you're flawed as well because <laughs> we all are. We're broken. But that, of course, isn't a license just to live how we please. We don't just do what we want in the acknowledgement that we're broken people. What it should do is draw us towards God and ask him to restore us, ask him to use our broken lives for his purposes. And by God's grace, we need to live change lives under the power of the Holy Spirit to make an impact in the world that he has called us into. But let me read some of the verses. The context of, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6 if you have a Bible with you. The context is after many years of captivity in Egypt and wandering around in the desert, the, the nation of Israel now find themselves literally on the banks of the promised land, this land that had been promised to them for generations. In our society, freedom to choose is seen as a right to live how we want. You'll hear that more and more and more. This is my choice. I can do that. I can live how I want. I'm not telling how you how to live. It's nearly a mantra now, isn't it, for, for our society in 2021? People want to live how they want. They think that's best for me. That'll bring me the happiest, most fulfilled life. The reality is, of course, when people do that, more often than not, there's brokenness and chaos. And as the nation of Israel stood on the edge of the promised land, after all these years of captivity, where they had no freedom to do anything, God knew that what they needed wasn't freedom to choose what they could do for themselves. God knew what they needed was instruction for him as to how to live. And that's what he gave Moses to give to the people. 
So let me just go through some of these verses. I think these are fundamental for us in terms of family life. And for me, raising children. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'll just read through and sort of pause and make some comments as I go through. Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, first of all. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. And the, the sort of, the, what stood out to me as I read those first couple of verses, it's just uh, halfway through verse two, so that the, you, you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Coming before God with reverence, with awe, acknowledging him for who he is, not just going to church, not just being involved in activity, but in our personal individual lives, having a real awe for a holy God. And if we are not careful, as society continues to move further and further away from God, we'll lose that. And as Christians, we must never lose that. Yes, we come into the presence of God in a sense whenever we choose, but it's still a holy, awesome, majestic, righteous God whose presence we come into. And we need to fear him. We need to have reverence for him. And as the instruction was given to the people, that was the starting point. And in family life, in any life actually, having that awe, that reverence, that respect, that appreciation of a holy God is really important. I've been a Christian for 40 years now. And if I'm honest, sometimes I nearly think in my own mind, I deserve to be a Christian because I've done quite well for the last 40 years. And I'm involved. I do not, let me tell you. It's purely by the grace of God that I can come into the presence of a holy God and I can serve a holy God. And you're exactly the same as well. So never forget that. Fear of the Lord. Verse three, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that was Brooke's message last week, wasn't it? Loving God, giving him our priority, living in the presence of God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Verse six says, these commands I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. It's not just head knowledge. It has to make the journey from head and go into the very core of our being, our heart, because when it gets there, it hopefully will permeate and affect absolutely every area of our lives. When Jesus was here and he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quoted that. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 7, and I was challenged by this, impress them on your children. So as we think about family life, and we think about drawing up and raising young people and children, impress them on your children. And I was challenged by that. In order for me to try and impress anything on anyone else, it has to have made an impression on me first. Because if it hasn't, it will either be ineffectual, or at worst, it will be hypocrisy. Impress them on your children. And I don't know about you, but I have two teenage girls, and they will call me out very, very quickly on lots of things. And if they see hypocrisy, 
They won't like other people sit quietly and say nothing about it. They'll be right there and tell me about it. Impress them. It has to come from a personal lived out experience or daily walk with God. And it will only impress other people if it's first made an impression in us as well. I remember whenever in my sort of previous role in Scrabble as youth leader or youth pastor, whatever you want to call it, sometimes parents would come and for me with quite unrealistic expectations of what church should do for their young person, let me say this tenderly to you because I said to myself as well, the job of the church is not to raise your child. It's your job to raise your child. Now the job of the church is to hone them and to encourage them and to help them to mature, but it's your job. If you're the parent, it's your job to raise your child. And if you're a Christian parent, it's your job to raise that child to love God and to follow him. And if that's the case, then you have to be living in right relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying you won't, you won't fall and stumble, I do, but your mindset, your heart has to be within the family unit. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to surrender fully to him. And then I'm going to pray that that reality is in the life of my children. Now, sadly, it's not always the case, and I'll say something about that in a wee minute, but that has to be our heart. It's your job as a parent to raise your child under the banner of truth and with God as Father and Christ as Savior. And there's another wee phrase in that that I, I just enjoyed it. So verse seven, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Sometimes it's so contrived, isn't it? Whereas it should be a normal, natural part of family life. Talk about them when you sit down, when you stand up, when you get up in the morning, when you lie down, when you go for a walk. Not just when you have the Bible study. Now that's good to have a designated time when you come together around the Word of God. But I just like that idea that this has to be just normal, just natural. Now we're not a perfect family let me tell you. But this week, we've had conversations at the meal table in and around uh, conversion therapy, abortion, and some other topics. I haven't brought any of that stuff up. It's just the girls asking questions, and then we just had a conversation about it. I think that's the intention here. You just talk about it. It's natural, this stuff. Just talk about it. Have a chat, have a conversation about it. Tell them what you think about that. Get into the Bible. Sometimes the girls ask me questions. I have no idea of the answer to it but it prompts an opportunity for us to have a discussion and to look at what the Bible teaches about it. So a natural, normal, everyday occurrence. And I think that's going to become more and more and more important with an education system that not here yet, thankfully, but it may come, which is becoming increasingly secular. In Wales now, uh, secular humanism is compulsory to be taught in schools. I find that heartbreaking. And I pray it won't come here, but who knows what will happen. And all of this stuff, this tsunami of secularism and humanism is going to come sweeping over this land. So where's the place where our families can learn and grow? Around the dinner table, when you're out for a dander, when you're sitting in the house, in the natural, everyday, normal areas of life that we all enjoy. So take those opportunities. Now, I'm not saying all the time you have to talk about that. Because life is life, isn't it? But you have to at least some of the time be intentional or natural about talking some of these things. And as I say, I think it's going to become more and more crucial as the days go on. Verse 8 says, tie them 
as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehands. Those are those wee boxes, phylacteries, wee leather boxes that had the scriptures inside and they were tied on the left arm, close to the heart, and then on the forehead. The word of God needs to be impressed on us and put them on the door frames. We have around our house, I know a lot of people do, but we, we have around our house uh, various texts and sayings and scriptures. And this is one, I can't remember where I picked it up. You won't be able to read it. I'll read it to you, but it's a nice wee frame. And it hangs up in the, the hallway of our house. So I would like to say every day when I go out to read it, I don't always notice it, but quite often I do. This is what it says. Dear God, help me today to accept that my call is to be a servant, not a hero, to be a storyteller, not a story subject, and to decrease so that Jesus may increase. Amen. That is for me a reminder when I look at it, that when I leave the door of my house, I'm going to represent Christ. I'm not going to be the person people talk about. I'm going to be the person that directs people to talk about Jesus. And as I thought about, you know, write them on your door frames. Now, there's an aspect of that, of living under the authority of the word of God in your house. But there's also a very normal, natural aspect that when you're coming under your door frame, you look up probably and you see the thing and then you remember it. And as you have these things around your house, and I would encourage you to put stuff around your house as well, it is a good prompt, a good reminder for us. The word of God getting into our brains and hopefully getting into our hearts as well. So put them on the door frames. The context for, for Deuteronomy 6 was that it wasn't just the job of the parents, it was the job of the community to have an input into the life of the children and the young people. And what a blessing church is. And maybe more than, well, certainly in my lifetime, as we have had the last year of separation, where you've sat in the house and looked at a screen and been frustrated as people forget to unmute themselves or somebody's chatting away about something when they are unmuted. <laughs> Coming back together and seeing one another. Now, I know there's all the restrictions and all the rest of it at the minute, but what a blessing. It is. The church is a great blessing. It really is. That's God's heart. <laughs> for us in this world, for community. And part of the role of the church is not to interfere, but part of the role of the church is to have input and to encourage and to pray and to support. And we need to do that as well. I want to read to you a couple of wee, uh, this is not advertising, neither is it nepotism, but this is my wife Heidi's book. And uh, there's a bit, there's a pack, uh, a chapter in here, As For Me and My Home, which is talking about this period in Israel's history. And it says, when the Israelites initially refused to go to the promised land, they not only forfeited the blessing God was longing to give them, they also missed an opportunity to display to their children the reality of a relationship with God. A generation who claimed to trust their God and believe his promises showed by their behavior that the opposite was true. If actions speak louder than words, then all that they had spoken was drowned out by the marching of their feet as they turned and walked in the opposite direction. Before this new generation of Israelites are commanded to pass the law of God onto their children, they're reminded the foundation of which this instruction is built. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. If the Israelites wanted to teach their children what it meant to live in a relationship with God, it was vitally demonstrated in their own lives. Similarly, if we, as the people of God, want the next generation to witness the reality of God's presence, we must be collectively living in obedience to God's word ourselves. Each one of us has a part to play in shaping the next generation. 
whether we have an active role in the life of children or play our part by modeling our obedience to God's word in the situation God has placed us, we each have a responsibility to demonstrate openly the reality and authenticity of our faith in a worthy God. As they prepared to enter the promised land and live there as the people of God, Moses reminded the people that practical obedience to the law of God must first be lived out in the home. As clashing personalities, simmering tempers, and bickering children were brought under the authority of his word, each new generation would grow to know God for themselves. If the law of God was to govern the nation, it must first govern families. I think that's brilliant. Not just because Heidi wrote it. I think it's very insightful. And I think it sums up well what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But I do think as church we have a massive part to play in supporting, encouraging families and helping them and praying for them. And as the nation of Israel were given these instructions, and later as Joshua said to the people and encouraged them to live out the reality of their faith in God, this is what they said. Joshua said, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you. And then the people replied, but the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Do you know what that was? It was lip service. They took all this instruction and said, we'll do that. We absolutely will do that. We'll put God first. We'll serve the Lord. And then a staggering verse for me, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, says, after that whole generation died and were gathered to their fathers, a new generation grew who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That is a very sad verse. Why is that in the Bible? Well, either they didn't listen, the children and young people, but more likely the community didn't tell them. The families didn't tell them. They didn't model faith. They turned their back. They accepted foreign gods. They got involved in the society and the culture that they found themselves in. And a generation grew up who didn't hear about the Exodus, who didn't hear about the mighty hand of God in their nation. They knew nothing about God. And we need to be very, very careful that in an increasing secular humanist society, that a generation don't grow up who know nothing about God, it's our responsibility to tell them. It's our responsibility to live it out. And as churches, it's our responsibility to support people who are struggling in the midst of that and to give them encouragement and help. So that's a biblical perspective. Let me give you some practical advice and guidelines. A lot of these will not be news to you. But let me give you some biblical or some practical things. I put a post on Facebook and Instagram. As much as we bemoan social media, at the start of the week, I just put a post on because I was, I was interested to get people's perceptions. And I just asked the question, if I were to say what are the most important aspects for a healthy family life, what would you say? And a number of people replied, and this, these were their responses. A healthy marriage where you're humble and honest. God-fearing parents with their own personal faith in Christ. Compassionate listeners to children. Parents who are willing to consistently apply grace and also consequences for disobedience. Spending time together without distractions, social media and all the stuff that goes with that. Eating meals at the table. Giving thanks for your meal before you eat it at the table. Reading God's word and praying with your children. Spending time together indoors and outdoors. Engaging in conversation. Being honest. Laughing together. Crying together. 
apologizing often. Us men know more than that than anyone else, maybe. Humility, eating meals, watching movies, going outside. Someone said, love is spelt T-I-M-E. It's a Deuteronomy 6 model, isn't it? It's being together. It's being intentional. It's just talking about this stuff in the normal, everyday things of life. You know what I notice about the list of those things that people said? None of them are rocket science. They're actually very simple things. And I worry sometimes, from my perspective of coming to present the Word of God, that I I sometimes try and overcomplicate it. See all of those things? They're very, well, they're maybe not easy to do, but they're very simple things that we can do. So in terms of giving practical advice, I suppose at least if I reminded you of those things, then that's a good thing. They're very simple things. Do you know why we don't do them? Because we're too busy on our phones looking at something or on the TV. I think bottom line is because we're selfish. I certainly know from my perspective that's the case. Sometimes rather than doing whatever I'm doing and trying to legitimize it, I should be spending time with my girls and listening to them and laughing with them and and just loving them and modeling Christ to them as well. So they're normal, natural, everyday things. Why is that? Because that's how God has designed us. That's how God has made us, to react, to relate, to live in that way. But we have to give them priority. We have to be intentional about doing those things. There doesn't always have to be lofty theological things in place. There has to be that, of course. But there has to be practical, simple things that we need to put in place in our lives. And in terms of uh, sort of practical advice, this is, uh, this is Heidi's other book. And the reason I share this with you is because see in terms of raising particularly young girls, I would really encourage you to give thought to this. It's choosing love in a broken world. And it, it, this will not be popular because it's talking about relationships. It's talking about how God designed us, how he designed us for relationships. And the idea with this is that uh, a mom or someone, a granny or somebody that has a particular um, influence on teenage girls particularly would read this book along with them, would chat to them about it, would discuss it with them. And uh, it's a great wee book. I have some with me tonight. They're five pounds. Um, If you're a wee bit funny about exchanging money on a Sunday, I promise that Heidi won't spend it until tomorrow at the earliest. So anyway, I just think it is good that we have practical things that we can use and have in place. There are some misperceptions in and around this stuff. And some of you relate to these. Everyone else's family is normal apart from mine. That's not the case. (laughs) Everybody's family is abnormal in some senses. Now, sometimes that can be a funny thing. Sometimes that can be a very, very restraining thing because we look at other families and we beat ourselves up about the state of our family. Let me tell you, every single family has problems, has difficulties, has brokenness. People in full-time Christian service have perfect families. They may have Instagram perfect families, but you come and spend a week in our, you will spend a couple of hours in our house and you'll say that people in Christian service do not have perfect families. It's a nonsense. It's a misperception. There's a couple very close to us in Scrabble and they have taken a real interest in us. They've been brilliant to us over the years, praying for us, encouraging us, supporting us, and now our girls as well, which is what I was saying about the model of the church doing that. But they have seen their grown-up children now make huge life choice decisions which have been very damaging, causing them to move away from their faith. 
And that's not the fault of the parent. I don't know a more godly couple, actually. That's their children have made those choices. So there's no guarantees with this stuff. But what I would also say, don't beat yourself up. I know some people, and they're so, so restrained now because they feel they've failed. And actually, what a great God we have who in His grace draws us back to Himself. And even with the brokenness in our families, will give us hopefully the power and the strength and the ability to keep going and to keep modeling faith. So see if you're someone who's living for God or trying to live for God, and there are people in your responsibility who have made mistakes. Don't beat yourself up about that. Keep living close to God. Keep praying for those people that God would draw them back to himself. Let me just say something as I come to a conclusion about our experience as a family in terms of practical things. Whenever lockdown one began, whenever that was last year, one of the things that we did almost every day is we decided, because we're all at home, uh, that one of us would take responsibility and we would go through the Psalms together and we would just, over uh, lunch or over our evening meal, somebody would just read the Psalm, would say something about it, and then would watch a song or whatever related to the Psalm. And I tell you, I, it was great. It was so refreshing. And actually, I know there's theological things in around it, but my daughters are much better preachers than me. See some of the stuff that they drew out of it? It was just it was heartwarming. It was brilliant. They just read it. And they said, this is what God has been saying to me through that. And let me encourage you in your families to do stuff like that and to hear from the other people in your family as you share together in that natural way. We talk at mealtimes. Now, I, honestly, that, I'm amazed how many families stick the TV on, sit with their phone, and sit with a meal on their meal on their knee. Now, we do that sometimes. But more often than not, we sit at the table and we just chat. And I think it's really, really, really important to do that. Laughter. I am probably, in our house, the most immature person there. I laugh a lot. I find things funny. And we laugh. But I think that's really important that we do that together, that we give ourselves freedom to laugh. Spend time together. We're finding that's going to become more of a challenge. Ellie's now 17. And she's in a queue behind 22,000 other people to get her driving test, but she'll get there eventually. And then as she does, she'll be out a wee bit more and we'll find that more of a challenge. But I am going to protect that, that we definitely still spend time together. It's a simple thing, but it's so important for us. I mentioned phylacteries. Some of you here will be aware of Slugs and Bugs. Randall Googiem, Slugs and Bugs Sing the Bible. It is fantastic. Or CDs of Scripture put the great wee songs so that the Word of God is getting into the lives and the mind of young people. And by the way, this is not just for parents. I said that in the context of Israel, and the Israelites, it was the community. There's a couple, and I asked them if I could mention them. They go to Dundonald Gospel Hall, David and Gail Gillespie. Uh, they're probably in their early 50s. Uh, they haven't had children, but they say that, see the children who come along Dundonald as their children. And I just love their heart for the children in Dundonald. And they spend time with them, and they take them out places, and they invest into their lives. And the children love them. This is not just for parents, this stuff. This is for all of us who have these opportunities and responsibilities. There's a girl, I took uh, Charlotte uh, Hamilton, Charlotte McCluskey, she now is. I took her wedding in July last year. She's 22, I think now. And Charlotte will 
maybe once every couple of weeks, take Ellie, our eldest daughter, out for coffee or for a walk. I can tell you that for us is fantastic because she's modeling Christ. This young married girl is modeling Christ and what it means to live for him in the life of our daughter. And then there's grandparents and relations and all that sort of stuff as well who have this huge, huge uh, privilege and responsibility. So we've thought about why family is important, a biblical, biblical perspective, some practical suggestions. Finally, let me read you some verses from 2 Corinthians. Now, this is not to oversimplify things and say everything's rosy in the garden. I'm not saying that, but we have to have an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is on the throne. Praise his name. God is sovereign. If you read to the end of the Bible, God wins. And we will be called home to be with him for all eternity. Living is challenging. It's difficult. It's tough. It's stressful. It's sad. But praise God, one day he will say enough and call us to be with him. And we need to keep an eternal perspective in mind as well as more and more and more pressure comes on family life. A little aside to finish. This week, the local news has been dominated by the resignation of the first minister and all that's going to mean. And politics in Northern Ireland is a nightmare, isn't it? And, and all the sort of stuff that goes with that. And not just here, but in the UK and wide of that as well. And we can become so, so discouraged. And particularly now as this tidal wave of secular humanism and all that that involves and these ramifications for the family, I wanted to show you a one-minute clip that gives me great hope in that sphere and that spectrum. So the guys, if you want, if you just put that up now, would you? It lasts one minute. This is a guy, Danny Kruger. Uh, he's an MP in England. It was his uh, maiden speech in the Houses of Parliament in 2019. This gives me tremendous hope and encouragement going forward. So watch this. I'll say one more thing and then we're finished. We're going to find ourselves debating in many different forms in this Parliament. It's the issue of identity, of who we are, both as individuals and in relation to each other. Traditionally, we had a sense of this. We are children of God, fallen but redeemed, capable of great wrong but capable of great virtue. And even for those who didn't believe in God, there was a sense that our country is rooted in Christianity, that our liberties derive from the Christian idea of absolute human dignity. And today these ideas are losing their purchase. And so we are trying to find a new set of values to guide us, a new language of rights and wrongs, and a new idea of identity based not on our universal inner value or on our membership of a common culture, but on our particular differences. And I state this as neutrally as I can because I know that good people are trying, to, trying hard to make a better world. And I know that Christianity and the Western past are badly stained by violence and injustice. But I'm not sure we should so casually throw away the inheritance of our culture. There's so much to be positive about. I share the Prime Minister's exuberant optimism about the future, but we need a set of values and beliefs to guide us. And in the last seconds, I will say this. As we advance at speed into a bewildering world where we are forced to ask the most profound questions about the limits of autonomy and what it means to be human, we may have reason to look about for the old ways and seek wisdom in the old ideas, which are, in my view, 
entirely timeless. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. That's fantastic, isn't it? And although we bemoan all that goes on and all the stuff that's being passed and everything that's coming in, praise God for men like that who stand for truth. Let's pray for them. But let's not be discouraged by all this stuff that's coming our way. Let's pray that God in his sovereignty would have people who would stand in the gap and that we would stick to the values, the old ways, the word of God, what he has given to us to raise our families in a generation that increasingly wants nothing to do with God and to live as salt and light in this world that he has called us to. Amen? Let me pray just as I finish. Father, thank you for the privilege of family. Thank you that that is your design. And it's under pressure, we know that. And it's not perfect, we know that. And it's broken, and we see that and the evidence of that. But God, I pray that you'll help those of us who know you and are trying to live for you to put in place in our lives the reality of a God who cares deeply for us, to live for you, to allow your word to penetrate our heart and our mind. I pray that we would live with you as our priority in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our work lives, in every aspect of our lives. Use us, we pray. Help us to be practical. Help us to intentionally chat, share, talk about the reality of a God who loves us and what you have done for us and how you command us to live. Father, help us as a community and church to support and encourage one another. Celebrate people who are going through good times, mourn and comfort people who are going through bad times. And ultimately what we do, or what we pray, Lord, is that what we do would bring glory, honor, praise and attention to you, our God and your lovely son, our savior, in whose name we pray, amen.